Today we'll be reading from Matthew chapter 11, verse 20 through 30. Then he began to denounce the cities where the most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre or Sidon. They had been, have long ago, and they have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? Will you be brought down to? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, "I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will." All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. Continue our study here. Bring to you a message today, hoping to introduce us a bit more to Christ. Message that will be about Jesus as the righteous judge and gracious Savior. I'm not a huge Star Wars fan. As a matter of fact, I don't even think I saw the original movies when they came out after. The first trio came out, but I saw them when the second trio of movies came out, and uh, I went to see them. I guess that's around the 2000, 99, 2001, somewhere in there. And after I saw those, I was hooked. I was a fan. I had to go back and see the other ones again. And so naturally, when a new Star Wars movie came out this week, Caleb and I, who had seen them all now, said, man, we got to go. So we finally got tickets to go see it, and we went to see it on Friday, and we loved seeing the new Star Wars movie. But one of the themes of all of these movies throughout all the, uh, all of the trilogies, if you will, that are set up for us, one of the major themes is the identities of particular individuals in the movie. Some of them go through all kinds of self-discovery. Some, some of them, their identity is revealed to us uh, by other people in the movie. But identity becomes something that is key, and it's a theme in the movie. Uh, Some of you would never even have watched the movie, and yet you would know the statement uh, that Darth Vader makes to a a young Luke Skywalker when he says, No, I am your father. Right? You can hear that in our culture. Uh, He's revealing this identity of Luke. This thing continues in the latest movie, and the identities of both evil and good characters are hidden, and they are then revealed. The reason I bring that up to begin this is that who people are matters to us. You know, when someone walks by, we may listen to them and we'll say, or we may see them and and we'll say to the person beside us, do you know who that is? People's identity matters and we get identity by a lot of different ways. Sometimes we'll say, do you know who that is? Because of who their father, their child, or somebody they know, or someone that they're related to. Some of us will say, do you know who that is? Because of 
Maybe they have particular wealth or uh, money. Some of us would say, do you know who that is because of some job they do or some political or position they have? In our day, there seems to be lots of confusion over what is identity, where do we get it from, and how do we find it and all of that. But the point here is that identity does matter, and we want to know who people are. So we come to the text, certainly on a Sunday before Christmas, I want to just say to you, there's a lot of confusion, I think, in our culture and in our world about who Jesus is. And Matthew is writing a gospel to us as we come to this text that is teaching us who Jesus is. You see, there's a lot of confusion, whether you go to the academy, whether you listen to politicians, or whether you just listen to the person on the street there seems to be much confusion. Who is Jesus really? We celebrate the birth of this one in a time that we call Christmas, and Christmas gives us a wonderful opportunity to even bring up the fact that there's confusion over his identity. In our culture, we don't even want to call this holiday Christmas anymore. You get in trouble for even saying that in some workplaces, as I've read over the last couple of weeks. I think that our confusion over Jesus may be because the truth about Jesus is something that we really don't want to hear. And so this morning, as we come to Matthew 11, I want to remind you that Matthew's gospel has been written. One of the primary purposes of this gospel is to show you and to answer this question, who is Jesus? As a matter of fact, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 1, Matthew begins introducing who this one is that he's going to write a book about. He says to us there, he is the son of David, the son of Abraham. In other words, as the son of David, he's the promised king who has been promised to come and sit on the throne of David forever. And so we find out this is the one who is promised. He's also the son of Abraham, the promised Messiah, the one who has come to set his people free, to be a deliverer, to be a redeemer. And so the promised king, the promised Messiah, Matthew is saying, here is who he is. I want you to know about him. Don't be confused about his identity. And then we get to chapter 11, and Matthew is really honing in for us on some people who are questioning and some events that have happened that will clarify for us the character, the identity of Jesus Christ. So we began the chapter, and one of Jesus' really devoted followers is questioning his identity to him. John sends his disciples to Jesus and questioning that and says, Are you the one, or should we look for another? And so a follower is saying, Jesus, are you indeed the son of David, the son of Abraham, or is someone coming behind you? And Jesus has answered that today, beginning verse 20 of Matthew chapter 11. Matthew is going to show us Jesus' own words that reveal his identity to us. And this Christmas Sunday, I want to bring those to you and hopefully put before us, who is Jesus? And so Matthew is going to give us two major pictures of the identity of Christ here. And Matthew is going to use Jesus' own teaching to do so. So I want to jump in the text with you and show Jesus as the righteous judge and the gracious Savior. The righteous judge and the gracious Savior. During this time of the year, we often read about the birth of Christ. And as I was reading about the birth of Christ this week, I came yet again across the wonderful prophecy of Simeon about Jesus over in Luke chapter 2. Many of you will read Luke 2, but we typically stop well before we get to the prophecy of Simeon about Christ, and Simeon states about Jesus to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. 
You and I have seen that in Matthew's gospel. There are many that will hear about Jesus, and when you know who he is, you will rise because you'll trust him, and some will fall because you will not like it. And so Simeon even says he's a sign that will be opposed so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. My prayer for us this morning is that this text would be used by the Spirit of God to reveal our hearts. And so let's jump in and look at what Matthew is teaching us first. In verse 20 through 24, Jesus is the righteous judge who will condemn the unrepentant. Jesus is the righteous judge who will condemn the unrepentant. Now, you've heard the story read to us this morning, so look at what he does. Verse 20, he denounces, he starts with this reproach for three cities in this particular passage. Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum are all denounced. They are given a reproach by Jesus. Here is Jesus looking at the cities, verse 20, where he has done most of his mighty works. Now, note this about these three particular cities. They are Israelite cities. They are places where the children of Abraham are living. And they are the cities that are right around Capernaum, this center of Jesus' ministry. This is where he has kind of had his home base. He's done many miracles there. And so we have Chorazin and Bethsaida introduced to us here in verse 21, where Jesus says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. These two cities are to the north and east of Capernaum. They're right in that same area. Jesus has done most of his work right there in Galilee. And so think about that with me. If Jesus has done his ministry there, most of his miracles were done here. They have heard his teaching about the kingdom of God. They have seen his power. They have seen and experienced his authority over disaster, over demons, over disease, over death. They have seen the authority of Jesus, and now Jesus says, Woe to you! He denounces these cities that have seen and experienced the presence of the King and the power of the King. Let me just say to you this morning as a matter of application right here at the beginning of this text, it's possible for you, my friend, to be acquainted with Jesus and yet still be lost. Let me make it really personal. It's possible for you to sit in a church every Sunday to be in the South and have Judeo-Christian morals, if you will, and not be saved. It's possible for you to be lost and just know all about Jesus. You could be a churchgoer. You could be a good man or good woman. You could be the quintessential southern belle. You could be the quintessential southern gentleman and not know Christ. You could come to church all of your life and not know Christ. That's what he says. And so, hearing His teaching, seeing His power, doesn't mean that you have come to Christ. Why? Verse 20, look at it. Key words in this text, the end of verse 20. The denouncing comes, end of it, because they did not repent. Failure to repent is the charge that Jesus brings here. And listen, it is grounds for condemnation. It is grounds for condemnation by the King. Chorazin and Bethsaida are two cities that are right near the center of Jesus' ministry. We don't have much of a record of Jesus ministering in either city. As a matter of fact, Chorazin is not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. But the Bible here tells us Jesus did many, most of his works in these three cities. This is a place that has seen and experienced this power of our Savior. And yet he says in verse 21, woe to you. Woe to you. 
The sense of woe here by Jesus, I think we would have to say this is displaying some of Jesus' pity or compassion for them as he looks at them and says, how great will your suffering be? How great will the suffering of these cities be where I've done most of my mighty works and yet they have not repented? Now notice what he says. Verse 22, if, I'm sorry, end of verse 21, if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. But you have not repented. Church, listen carefully to me. What Jesus is doing in showing himself as the righteous judge is telling you and telling me that what we need to know, the righteous judge is going to judge and the difference in condemnation and eternal salvation is repentance. Period. So knowing about Jesus is not enough. Going to church is not enough. Knowing all kinds of good things about Him, talking good about Jesus is not enough. The difference is, are we going to repent? Tyre and Sidon are cities that you would know out of the Old Testament that are Phoenician cities. They're full of Gentiles. They're paradigms in the Old Testament of wickedness and and the enemies of Israel, the enemies of the people of God. They're the object of 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 much Old Testament prophecy. Isaiah prophesies against them. Ezekiel, Amos, they prophesy against these cities who are known for their worship of Baal and their unbridled materialism. And so what Jesus is saying here is shocking. And I don't want you to miss the weight of what he's saying. He's saying these Gentile cities that the Old Testament prophets have told you, they have condemned them for their materialism. They've condemned them for their idol worship. It will be more bearable on the day of judgment for them than for you because if the works that have been done in your cities had been done there, they would have repented long ago. You would have heard about their repentance. You would have heard about their coming to the Lord, and turning from their sin. But you, you have seen the King. You have seen His power, and yet you have refused to repent. What a charge. Don't miss this, friends. The enormity of the sin of unrepentance. Jesus is calling us to turn from sin and self to Him. Listen, here's the bottom line. If you and I are to refuse to humble ourselves under the king and repent of sin, to turn, to make a complete reverse, I'm not trusting me or whatever else I was trusting, my materialism, my idol worship. I'm not trusting anything else in life to satisfy me, to give me a relationship with God. I'm turning from that, denouncing that to turn to the king If we will not repent, then the condemnation of Christ is ours. And what he's saying here is it would have been something that you would have heard about if the works that you have seen would have been done there. Let me say this. You can know and have seen more than anyone else about Jesus and still be condemned if you refuse to repent. In verse 23, he brings up Capernaum. This is his, uh, me, uh, the, the center of his ministry. And they co- he compares them to Sodom. He says in verse 23, And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? Rhetorical question. The answer is absolutely not. You will be brought down to Hades. 
In language that is reminiscent of Babylon in Isaiah chapter 14 when uh, uh, Babylon is saying, we will be exalted, I will exalt myself. And Jesus, uh, or God says through his prophet Isaiah, you will be thrown down. This language is much like that. And he's saying to them, Capernaum, you are like Babylon, you are like Sodom, the city of old that you would know of Sodom and Gomorrah, full of immorality, sexual immorality, all kinds of other wickedness in Sodom. They, They were the paradigm of all of the wickedness that was in Canaan before the people of God settled in the promised land. And God says, Capernaum, you will be cast down like them, worse than them, because you have seen, you have heard, you have been a witness to the work of Christ. Wow. You will not be exalted. You'll be thrown down. And then in verses 22 and 24, he says, for both of them, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for them, for Tyre and Sidon, for Sodom and Gomorrah, than it will be for you who have been a witness to the king. Let me just ask you this question. How much more, how much more for those of us who are on this side of the cross then, that we see a resurrected Savior, we know that Christ has come. Listen to me. We celebrate Christmas and the birth of the one because the one who took on flesh and came and became a man went to a cross and he died. And someone, the one, has come and died and come back from the dead. How much more will it be upon us who do not repent? Jesus says to Capernaum and Bethsaida, Chorazin, It'll be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon. Listen, don't miss the, the, the overwhelming nature of Jesus' statement. These pagan Gentiles will bear the day of judgment easier than you are going to bear it because you have seen and experienced the King. I want to say to you sitting here this morning, the difference in your eternal salvation and eternal condemnation is repentance before Christ, turning from your sin and self to Him. It is not any, anything else in this world that is going to make a difference other than will you repent? Will you turn? So this righteous judge is going to come to a judgment day and every person that has ever walked in this world has ever been born in this world will stand before a righteous judge who will look at you and your condemnation or your salvation will be proclaimed and the difference for you will be would I humble myself to this king and turn from sin and self would I will I repent there's the difference Notice this, just in passing, that Jesus is very clearly saying that the condemnation of hell is going to be worse for those that have sat and heard the gospel and heard the gospel and heard the gospel and heard the gospel and refused to repent and got hardened and hardened and hardened. If you will not repent that day, how many times will... will, Will someone who's standing before the judge look back at their life and say, I heard, I knew, I knew they believed, and yet I never believed. I knew that they turned. I knew that I needed to turn. How much worse will that day be for you? That's what he's saying. Repent. Now listen to me carefully this morning. I don't want to assume that every one of you sitting here has repented. As a matter of fact, I want to go the other way and say... You're the only one that really knows your heart this morning 
and the Lord who may be speaking to you right now through His Spirit. Don't walk out of here not repenting, refusing to repent yet again. Now church, those of us who know the Lord, this repentance is a lifestyle for us. We live in repentance. We put our sin before the Lord and He forgives us through the cross. And so this morning I want to say that this repentance should be something that comes in our hearts and our lives as we humble ourselves before the King. But the the righteous judge will condemn the unrepentant. Is that you this morning? He will do so. That's our Savior. Now, let's look at seeing the righteous judge. Matthew now turns. Verse 25, he shows us another instance of Jesus speaking. And I want you to see not only Jesus is the righteous judge who will condemn, I want you to see Jesus is the gracious Savior who gives rest. Verse 25, he begins with a prayer. Matthew says at that time Jesus declared, and his declaration begins as a prayer, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. And so we get to hear some of the prayer of Jesus as he reveals to us this wonderful gospel, this wonderful way that if you this morning are in that place where you would say, (coughs) excuse me, I know that he is the righteous judge, and I know that I need to, to turn. I know that I need to repent of sin, but I've refused to do so up to this point. Listen, there's good news for you in this text. Jesus is not only the righteous judge, he is the gracious Savior who gives rest. So look, he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, revealed them to little children. Now, this morning, I want you to see a few things in this opening part of this. I want to say them pretty quickly because I want to get to the point that Jesus gives an invitation. But I want you to note here that Jesus says this to us. These things have been hidden and revealed. What things? They are the things of the kingdom of God. This is the identity of our Savior, that you and I would come to Him. We have just seen Jesus saying, those who refuse to repent will be condemned. However, now he says, those who are wise and understanding, I think he's saying very clearly to us, those who are wise and understanding the world, you are going after your satisfaction, your joy, your your contentment in the ways of the world. You're wise in the ways of the world. You're understanding. You know everything. It's much like Jesus' statement prior when he said to us, those who are well have no need of a physician. Here he's saying, those who are wise and understanding, they have no need of a Savior. As a matter of fact, he's going further. He's saying, thank you, Father. That you've hidden the things of the kingdom from those who don't need it. Those who are wise and understanding. They don't need the kingdom. They have their own kingdom. Now, what you and I know is that kingdom is not going to last. There's only one kingdom that will last forever. So on one hand, we have Jesus saying God has hidden and revealed the things of the kingdom of God. On the other hand, we've just read that it's your repentance to repent before the Lord. Now, let me say this to you. I think that there is a great tension here that I don't want you to miss and I don't want you to overdo or underdo either side of this tension. The kingdom of God and coming into the kingdom of God is something that God does. Look at what he says in verse 25. You have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. There's a tension here. It's your will, Lord, to hide it from some and to reveal it to others. It's your gracious will. He's just said, though, it's repentance. So how do we put those two together? Well, from what you need to hear this morning is the message of the Savior is repent, come to Him. But God looks at it and He says they have been hidden from the wise and understanding. They've been revealed to the little children. And I just want to say to you, if you will not come to the Savior this morning as a child, trusting Him, completely surrendering to Him, completely dependent on our God, then you will never come. 
And God says, those things are hidden from you. You can't see it unless you humble yourself and come before the Father. And I just want to remind you this morning again, the wonder of wonders in our world is not that any are condemned, but that any are saved. You see, we stand condemned already. The condemnation of sin is upon all of us. And so the Father is saying here, or the Son is saying to the Father here, you have revealed these things to those who would humble and come to you. You have hidden them from the wise and the understanding, those who have everything figured out. I'm not sure which one you come in this room with this morning. Are you the one that you've got all life figured out? You've got it life by the tail and everything's going the way you want? Or maybe you really do need to come to the Lord as a child and have him reveal to you these things of the kingdom of God. Jesus is going to go on and say, what are these things? And he's going to show you more of this salvation as we go. So let's move. Verse 27, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. So Jesus, again, showing his authority. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. This whole idea in verses 25, 26, 27 about revealing, Jesus is showing you that I am the king and I'm going to reveal what Christ, what God has intended in Christ to do. And I want to invite you then, verse 28, to this salvation. He is a gracious Savior who reveals his identity to us. And so let's look at it together. Verse 28, this gracious Savior who reveals the Father to us gives you this invitation. Come. Come to me. Come to me. Now note this. I want to be clear about this because we're talking about the identity of Christ this morning. This text is very clear to you and to me in a day where even this morning I read uh, something from someone in our community that says, oh, everybody has their own way to God. Jesus says here very clearly to you, there is only one way to God, and it's through Jesus Christ. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Listen to me. You will never have a relationship with God. You will never be in eternal life. You will never have the hope of salvation except through Jesus Christ. We don't live in a time where we can bend and undo God's Word. We don't live in a day where people don't try to do it, though, and they will do it, and you and I need to live in a way that is clear about the Word of God, clear about the identity of our Savior. He is the gracious Savior. And listen to me, there is no other. There is no other Savior. You do not come to God except through Jesus Christ. And he says, this one through whom you come to God says to us, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden. Now notice, he's just held up wise and understanding with little children. Now he's going to hold up those who labor. Those who are hard at work and are heavy laden. You've got burdens on your life. It strikes me as I talk to you. It strikes me as I talk to this community. But I want to to address you this morning as a church. It strikes me that we live in a culture where there's a lot of laboring and heavy labor or heavy burdens. Why? I really believe, church, that the invitation to come to Jesus and the, the revealing of what this is, those who labor and are heavy laden, 
What are we laboring over? What are we heavy laden about? I think that we're going after all of this in our own understanding. We're trying to gain. We're trying to gain contentment. We're trying to gain happiness. We're trying to gain all kinds of uh, 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 of what we would think is true life. And Jesus says, "Those of you who are laboring or heavy laden, come to me, and I." will give you rest. Well, how do you know that? He gives us a second instruction in verse 29. Take my yoke upon you. Now, most of you know what a yoke is. You've either seen a picture of it or you've actually seen one in work, uh, in action. A yoke is uh, 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 an instrument that would link two, most of the time, oxen or two animals together. And those animals then work in tandem together. This is a yoke. You yoke or link two animals together. And Jesus says here in this illustration, take my yoke upon you. What is he saying? Link yourself to me. As opposed to linking yourself to whatever else you're linked to right now. So let me just say this to you. In the illustration, as you and I think through it, let me tell you, there is no option not to be linked to something. So here's the, here's the reality. You have a yoke on you. And that yoke is what do you believe is taking you, delivering for you true life. What do you believe brings happiness and joy and satisfaction and contentment? True life. Maybe I could say eternal life for you. What do you think is giving you satisfaction in your life? That's what you're yoked to at this moment. And so let me say, how can I know that then, Pastor? What have you woken up this week thinking about? What have you been thinking about when you go to bed? What gets you up in the middle of the night and you think, man, if I could just have that, if I could just do that, if I could just go there, maybe it's a job, maybe it's a promotion, maybe it's some kind of financial security, Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's some kind of power that you want. If I could just have that ability. Maybe it's your health. Maybe you think, oh, if I could just have health, all of life would be fine. Here we are at Christmas where I always think about this phrase at Christmas. On Christmas Eve and and you have uh, um, the little boy in the the Christmas movie saying, all was right in the world. Right? What would make all right in the world for you? In your world, what makes all right? What is that? That's what you're yoking your life to. And Jesus says, what strikes me about that is, in that yoke, you are heavy laden. And you are in labor to get that. Why? Because all of those things, all of the things that the world says, man, yoke yourself to this materialism, it will bring happiness. You know what? It doesn't matter how much you have, it's never enough. Yoke yourself to this position. It doesn't matter how what position you have, it's never enough. Yoke yourself to having this ability, this power. It doesn't matter how much power ability you have, it's never enough. All of the idols of this world, all of the yokes that you can go after, they're never enough and the world is going to say you need more and more and more and more and that yoke draws you in so that you are laboring to try to find happiness to try to find contentment in your life and that labor becomes a heavy heavy burden and Jesus says to you come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden let's look at this watch this promise I will give you rest strikes me that there's some of us that would this morning hear the imitation of our Savior and say, I need that. You see, we live in a culture that says you've got to keep up with this and you've got to have that and you've got to do that and you've got to be that. We think if I could just have that, I'd be okay. If I could just be that, if I could just do that, I'd be, a, you know, life would be worth it. And let me just tell you this morning, if you don't already know it, and I think you do in your heart of hearts, but somehow the culture keeps convincing us otherwise it never satisfies 
The only rest for your soul is to yoke yourself to Christ, to link yourself to him. Why is that the case? Look at what he says, verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Is the yoke that you're on linked to right now, the, the, the thing that you're linked to that is controlling your, is it, is it gentle? I think not. And you will find rest for your souls. Verse 30, for my yoke is easy. Now, note this. I, I want you to get this. There is a yoke with Christ. You're linking yourself to the king. But when you link yourself to the king, it is both good and right and easy. Why? Because the king does the heavy lifting. You know what my yoke is when I'm yoked with Christ? It's not, man, if I could just have that, if I could just accomplish that, if I could just know this person, if I could just get that position. It is, can I glorify him? What do I need to do in this moment, in this situation to bring glory and honor to my king? That's my only yoke. That's my yoke. Why? Because he's the king. And I'm linked to him. He's a gracious Savior who gives me rest. You know what the rest is here? The rest is not all of your problems will go away. You're still going to have the health problems and the financial problems. And you're still going to have people that are opposed to you. He's shown us the, the cost of following him. He's not saying that your life is going to get really easy here. He's saying that the yoke that you bear will be easy. Why? Because all I need to do is say, I'm with him. How do I glorify you, Christ? I know that I'm facing this health problem. I know that I'm facing this loss of a job. I know that I'm facing this or that in my life. How do I glorify you? That's my only yoke. How do I bring glory to my Savior? That yoke is easy. I don't have to carry the burdens of the world. I don't have to solve everything in my life. I don't have to even know everything about where we're headed. I just need to be yoked to Him. Because I know where he's going. And it's a kingdom that will last forever. And it's a kingdom of peace that will have no end. And I will be a part of the royal family. Yoke yourself to Christ. He is the gracious Savior who will give you rest. And rest in him. That's the good news for you this morning. So let me ask you this. First. Would you come before the Lord and say, Lord, I need to repent. You know, I've heard all about you. I know about you, but I've never repented. And I know that condemnation comes for those who don't repent. Here's his invitation. Come. So you say, well, pastor, if, if, he, if he hides it from some people, he reveals it to others. How do I know? How do I know? Come. That's his invitation. If you hear the words and you come, come, come to him. Trust him. He's calling you. That is our Savior's invitation to come to Him. So this morning, would you come and repent? Would you take His yoke upon you? Church, those of us who you would say, I have yoked myself with Christ, let's be honest as believers, so often we want to go back to those old yokes. We hear them, you know, whether it's perfection or, or money or materialism. Here we are at Christmas. We say we're not about materialism, but just look on the television. Look at all the money that's spent on all kinds of stuff. Oh, we're yoked to materialism. Some of us need to say, let's, let's not get yoked to that. Christ, I'm not going to live in that. I want to yoke myself to you. I want to link myself to the king. And whatever I'm going through right now, Jesus, I know that my yoke is, how can I bring glory and honor to my king in this, in this situation? Why? Verse 30, and I close. For my yoke is good and easy, and my burden 
is light. Why is the burden of Christ light? Watch this. Because he took all of our sin and wickedness and he bore it on a cross and he was put in a grave and he overcame death, hell, and the grave. And if our king, whom we're yoked to, can do that, I can trust being linked to him. My burden is light. I've given it to Christ. Come to him. Find rest for your soul.